Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us be better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners of this podcast know that this month, actually, I should now say last month, we began these Ministry Watch Extra episodes. Uh, we'll continue to do our regular Friday weekly roundup episodes. Those are the episodes that I co-host with Natasha Smith. But these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep, you might say, with some of our editorial partners. And today, I'm really pleased to have back to the program Julie Royce. Julie Royce, as I said last month, is the brains behind the Royce Report. She's an investigative journalist and does a lot of investigative journalism on that website. She also has a podcast of her own by the same name. And by the way, I want to add that Royce is spelled R-O-Y-S for the Royce Report. Go look it up. I think you'll be really blessed by what you find there. Julie has a bachelor's degree in history from Wheaton, a master's degree in broadcast journalism from the prestigious Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. So with that too long pre-ramble, Julie, welcome back to the program. (laughs) Thank you, Warren. Great to be with you. Looking forward to chatting today. Yeah, you know, Julie, since we spoke um, the last nearly a month ago, a, a whole lot has happened. I don't know uh, what your side has been like, but mine is, we had a record month in terms of page views. I'm guessing you guys probably did too. It's, um, you know, uh, as much as I hate to write about stories in some ways, like the Jerry Falwell Liberty story, uh, for those of us investigative journalism who are running websites, they're kind of the gift that keeps on giving, you know? Uh, sadly, yeah, that's true. I mean, we've seen so much. Well, we really have. Uh, just a quick recap of some of the other stories. Uh, you know, John MacArthur and his church, Grace Community Church, has been dealing with uh, COVID restrictions and their defiance of those restrictions. And a couple of um, stories that I want to drill down a little bit more on. And the, one of the stories you did and one of them I did, the story I did was the story of TV preacher Perry Stone, who took a leave of absence. And we'll say more about the details of that in a minute. And the other was um, megachurch pastor Todd Wagner. He also had to take a leave of absence. And some say that both of these stories are the result of the pressures that leaders of these mega ministries are under. And I guess my question for you, Julie, is do you buy that as an explanation, number one? And number two, are we seeing more of these kinds of stories now than we have in the past? Well, to answer your first question, is is it part of, or is it due to the pressures? I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, right? I, I can't tell why people do what they do. I will say that I think the megachurch model, that ministry model, does kind of, it's an incubator in some ways. Fame and fortune and money and all these things together normally don't produce the best character. You know, Jesus said it's hard harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. So it's difficult for human beings to deal with those kind of temptations, and I think we're seeing that in what's imploding. But, you know, as I'm seeing more and more of these things come out, and I, and, and I also wonder, you know, is it that 
that it's happening more now or just that it's being reported more now and people aren't getting away necessarily with things that they used to. But I do think, and Warren, we've talked about this a lot, just this whole idea that evangelicalism and the megachurch model and a lot of these ministries, it's a completely unregulated industry, so to speak. Uh, they're able to say to the IRS, hey, we're, we're a church or we're a religious nonprofit, and, and then they don't have to file 990s, and there's no accountability, and they're able to, to do things. And, and they naturally get our trust because they're spiritual leaders, and they use scripture, and, and, and they sound so good. And so it, to me, it's, it's just a lot of factors coming together that uh, breeds corruption and the worst behavior in human beings, and that's what we're seeing. And sadly— uh, leaders falling. It just, you know, it just seems like one every week. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the two stories, and I want to I want to get you to talk a little bit more about the Todd Wagner story in just a second, but certainly the, these two stories, Todd Wagner and Perry Stone, um, certainly sat, checked the box on a couple of things that you just said. Number one is they're large. They're t- there's a lot of money involved. Number two, they're completely independent. Neither one, uh, in Perry Stone's case, he is a parachurch minister, even though he does have a local church. It's completely independent. They stopped filing 990s around 2012, and Todd Wagner is a church as well, of course. It's Watermark Community Church. You broke that story with Todd and Watermark. Um, can you fill us in on a couple, some of the details there? Well, I think I need to give credit where credit is due. There's a blogger called, they have a website. I don't know who the person is, although I've corresponded uh, with this person through, you know, private messages and things. But there's a blog called No Eden Elsewhere, and they've been publishing on Watermark and, and some of the, the issues there for more than a year. And so I I don't know to what extent No Eden Elsewhere and the the accounts that they've been publishing caused what happened recently, but it it may have. And so I want to give credit there. Um, That person, whoever's behind that website, has done a a good job of getting getting these stories of people that say that they've been uh, abused at this church, and there's an inordinate amount of control there uh, of getting these stories out. But what happened most recently um, that I was able to break was at Todd Wagner, the senior pastor of Watermark Community Church. Again, this is a multi-site megachurch in Dallas, has an average attendance of about 11,000 people. Uh, He got up in front of the church and uh, confessed to them that he was taking a leave of absence, and he said, there's no disqualifying sin like sexual immorality, financial misconduct, or or foul language, but apparently what had happened is the elders and some people around him had complained and said, hey, you've got a, a pattern of pride that we see, and and it's causing a lot of trouble, and you're not listening to people, and you're having kind of a heavy-handed leadership style. At least that's what we're hearing from Todd and what he said on, on Sunday. Um, and so he's going to take a leave of absence. It, you know, it made me wonder, though, when he said there's no disqualifying sin, <laughs> is not pride kind of at the root of so many different sins. And, and if you don't get a handle on it, it, it causes tremendous trouble. Um, but also, I don't know how much we're just seeing a very curated um, kind of statement from him. There was no no specific naming of something that he had done or any sins he had committed other than, you know, just pride. And after uh, after he had announced there was a, a Twitter feed, No Eden Elsewhere had tweeted about the fact that he had he had stepped down, and then he tweeted and then quickly deleted, um, mission accomplished. 
I don't know. To me, I read that mission accomplished. It, it did not sound like a man who was deeply repentant, but someone who was, you know, almost angrily saying, you know, hope you're happy. You know, that's how it came across to me. So that is a developing story. We'll see what happens. I know uh, people continue to, I, even this week, I, I got a, an account from somebody uh, saying, hey, this happened to me at Watermark. There's people who are leaving comments at No Eden elsewhere. So I think we may be seeing the tip of the iceberg. There may be more coming out there. Yeah, well, that sure, certainly could be the case. I, I will have to say in a spirit of full disclosure that I know Todd Wagner. I've known him probably for eight or nine years. Um, not well. We're not close friends, but, you know, we do see each other from time to time. And um, so I'm wanting to reserve judgment, but also uh, in the case of Todd, at least, um, well, and, and the truth of the matter is, um, Julie, and I welcome your comments about this. I mean, mm-hmm. I take no glee in reporting about any of these. I hope they all repent and become fully restored to ministry. But uh, I'll have to say that in Todd's case in particular, I hope that's the case. I think he's had a very positive and powerful ministry, and um, and I hope he takes this restoration period uh, really seriously, which tra- causes me to want to transition to the next story, because, and I want to get your thoughts about this. Speaking of restoration processes, you know, we've seen a lot of pastors like Todd Wagner, like Perry Stone. We can go back, you know, to Mark Driscoll. We can go to um, Todd Bentley, the infamous uh, uh, faith healer that had that was in, uh, involved in the so-called Lakeland revival a few years ago. You know, they get caught in sin, and then they go away for some sort of a leave of absence or restoration restoration process, and and they're back sometimes weeks later, um, and almost always months later. Rarely does that uh, restoration process last more than a few months, and they're sort of back from the dead and ready to party, as the old uh, old saying goes. And uh, that's kind of, you know, and in the case of Perry Stone, they they were actually trying to hide um, his sabbatical, at least it appears to me. Perry Stone, for those who don't know, is a TV preacher. He's got a ministry called Voice of Evangelism. He's got a television program that's on um, the Inspiration Networks. It's on Trinity Broadcasting Network. Uh, he has millions of followers, millions of listeners. Uh, and and um, he apparently, back in April, uh, was accused credibly, in fact, he confessed, to um, behaving inappropriately toward female staff members on on um, the Voice of Evangelism staff. Uh, his board asked him to take a leave of absence. He did so, but his television programs remained on the air. He maintained an active social media presence. It never would have come out that he was on a sabbatical or a leave of absence if a local Chattanooga newspaper, his ministry is headquartered in Tennessee, by the way, if a Chattanooga newspaper hadn't gotten their hands on a private audio recording, a, a conference call that he had with some of his key supporters, uh, in which he sort of shared with them what was going on. And um, so, I, you know, I guess that causes me to, you know, to ask this question of you, Julie, what should a restoration process look like? I mean, at least Todd Wagoner has, you know, had sort of the good grace to go away and, is, and appears to be really going away. Perry Stone is trying to hide that he, the fact that he went away. Um, James McDonald, who you reported on extensively, it's hard to tell that he even really had any sort of a restoration process. He was back in the pulpit uh, very quickly. Uh, give me your thoughts about all of that. Well, I think the key that we're looking for is repentance, right? I mean, that is what is most important in any kind of restoration. But I think we have to ask about restoration to what? The most important thing is that these 
these men who have fallen uh, are restored to God and to the church and to a right relationship with, with God and his church. What is not, I, I would say, most important, or maybe even on the table, and it depends on the seriousness of the sin that Perry was involved in, but what may not be on the table at all is restoration to ministry. And, and I don't think we talk about this enough. We are so bent towards restoring people and giving them grace. And of course, God's grace is available to all, and God will forgive any of our sins if we are repentant and come to Him and ask for it. But what is clear in Scripture is that being an elder in a church or being in a, a position of spiritual authority is not something that you necessarily have forever. You can lose it. You can be disqualified. I mean, uh, Titus 1.7 says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, greedy for gain. I mean, how much money has Perry Stone made in his ministry? Millions, right? And we don't even know that probably half of it because he, he doesn't file 990s. Right. And, and so there's just so many questions there and so many, I would say, red flags that indicate this man may be disqualified from ministry. And do I want to see him restored to the church? Yes. Should he be restored to ministry? Um, that is a huge question mark for me. And and I would like to see a re- restoration process that, at the very least, specifically names what he did and shows that he is truly repentant and has the fruits of repentance, which, quite frankly, do not show up in a few months. They show up over many years. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Julie, I, th- I com- first of all, completely agree with you. And I think that is just such an important point. Uh, and I know you probably get these uh, flame mails, too, whenever we write stories about this. You know, there's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, folks like, you know, God's, you know, who, there but for the grace of God go I. We're all sinners. You know, we should forgive. And, you know, and those, as you just indicated, those kinds of responses, while I'm sure in some cases they might be well-intentioned, completely miss the point and completely ignore all these biblical passages that you just cited and many, many more that you didn't cite. I mean, it's interesting to me. I spent a good bit of my career in um, outside of ministry in business. I uh, worked for a large accounting firm called PricewaterhouseCoopers, so I would often read in the business press about scandals that took place there. And it's not unusual for the Securities and Exchange Commission to impose as part of their punishment that you are banned from a registered dealer in securities for life. Hmm. You might, you know, you might only have to go to jail for a year or you might have to pay this fine or whatever, but often a ban for life for being back in the securities business as a part of that penalty. And I think that that is just the, you know, even even the secular world acknowledges that yes, there can be restoration. Yes, there can be forgiveness. Yes, there can, you know, you can pay your debt to society if you want to talk about this in secular terms, but it may be that you just shouldn't have certain kinds of jobs anymore ever for the rest of your life. And in the church, it's amazing to me that we don't think that that might be a possibility as well. Well, Christian people are the kindest, most uh, just grace-filled people in the world, almost 
a kind <laughs> to a fault. And I think we forget that God is not just loving, He is holy. And His reputation means a lot to Him. And so to have people in positions where they represent Christ not behaving in the manner that Christ would have them behave, I think He would rather the embarrassment to the church to have these people called out than for them to continue what, what is really just an affront to God and to His name and to His His holiness. And so, yeah, and, and when you talk about banning, like the SEC banning somebody, uh, prof- most professions have professional uh some sort of organization that, for example, if you're a physician and you commit some sort of malpractice, you can lose your license. If you're a lawyer and you do something that just completely violates the ethics of the profession, you can lose your license. Yet pastors, there is nothing like that. And I think there needs to be where, I mean, and there is in a sense, I mean, if you're a part of a denomination, you can, who has ordained you, they can probably pull your license and depending on the, the denomination you're in. Yep. But again, the these independent organizations, they pretty much run however they want, and the pastors can can get their own hand-picked board, and they can do whatever, and, and people just need to wise up a little bit about what people are doing. Yeah, exactly right. Well, Julie, I've got a lot more stories that I, we didn't get to John MacArthur, Jerry Fall, or any of that other stuff, but we need to take a quick break and um, come back with uh, maybe a brief mention of some of those stories and some others. I'm Warren Smith. My guest this week is Julie Royce, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith with Ministry Watch, and my guest this week on this episode of Ministry Watch Extra is Julie Royce of The Royce Report. Uh, Julie, I want to give you a chance uh, for a little bit of what I might call shameless self-promotion, and that's a chance to talk about your own podcast, specifically an interview that you did with Costi Hinn. Um, First of all, tell us who Costi Hinn is and why you had him on the program. What did you guys talk about? Costi Hinn is the nephew of the famous prosperity preacher, Benny Hinn, and um, has really just a phenomenal story of what it's like behind the scenes of this prosperity ministry that Benny Hinn has. I mean, uh, incredible stories of of just <laughs> he tells one where he was uh, working with Benny as what they call a catcher. That is someone that goes and catches people who are slain in the spirit, um, so that they won't, you know, hurt themselves and maybe sue the ministry. <laughs> but when he was working with uh, Benny Hinn, uh, they went and, and spent a weekend. Was it Bahrain? Uh, anyway, uh, United Arab Emirates, and they stayed in a hotel, and it was twenty five thousand dollars a night was the kind of hotel room they had. I mean, just 
unbelievable opulence. And his father, who also worked for Benny Hinn, had an entire fleet of Mercedes Benzes and all of this money and everything coming in. And and he was a true believer in Benny's ministry. Uh, But then he tells his story of how he began to, as he called it, see cracks in the dam. And God began to show him areas in Scripture where we're not promised that our life will be uh, well, that we're not promised that we'll always be healthy. We're not promised, and, and like we were talking earlier in the first segment, that that we will be rich if, if we're Christians. But instead, you read the New Testament, it sounds a lot like we're going to be promised some hardship. And so he tells his story of how he, he began to see this and began to see how predatory this ministry that Benny has is and how poor people were being basically conned into giving their money for what they thought was ministry, but really was just enrichment of Benny Hinn and those close to him. And then he did a really, really courageous thing, and that is he broke with the ministry, but he didn't do it quietly. He broke with the ministry and then came forward and became a truth teller, really a whistleblower, saying, this is wrong, and actually, as a result of that, received death threats from Benny, those around Benny Hinn's ministry. Um, Of course, a lot of these death threats came anonymously, so we don't know exactly who they came from, but he suspected they came from his ministry. And just a really shocking, eye-opening story, firsthand account of of what that was like. So uh, really courageous man, and I love that podcast. We actually broke it up into two segments because it was so good. Uh, I didn't want to end my conversation with him. So yeah, I encourage people to go take a look at it. Well, they can find that at the Roy's Report. Again, R-O-Y-S Report. Um, and check out Julie's uh, podcast and that conversation with, with Costi Hind. You know, I've got, a, I've got a question, Julie, and I'm wondering if uh, you and Costi um, brought this up. But, you know, Benny Hinn was one of the Grassley Six. The six televangelists were investigated by Senator Charles Grassley. Um, yep. He basically, I think the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009 in some ways gave all six of those guys a get-out-of-jail-free card because the um, the Senate Finance Committee got distracted, of course, by other issues whenever the financial crisis hit. But uh, I do wonder if Costi has anything to say about where Benny Hinn is now, because I, a couple of years ago, Benny Hinn did say, um, admit publicly that he thought that uh, maybe he had been a little excessive in some of his prosperity gospel preaching. Was that just window dressing? Was that, or did <laughs> Costi Hinn think that there was any um, true repentance going on there? Yeah, we did talk about that, and I brought that up. And he, you know, again, it's the fruits of repentance. That's what we look for. If there's true repentance, there'll be some fruit of it. I have not seen. Uh, Benny Hinn change his lifestyle. I have not seen Benny Hinn do uh, what Jesus encouraged those who scammed people in the in the first first century. What he told them to do, which was go and give back all that money that you've stolen from people. He hasn't done that. He hasn't tried to make any restitution whatsoever. He just comes out and says he's sorry. He's not going to do that anymore. And yet his lifestyle hasn't changed, and he hasn't given back any of the money. So till that happens, I'm going to be a little. Uh, skeptical about his repentance. Sure. Totally understand. Uh, Julie, I want to pivot in our conversation just a little bit and uh, talk about a couple of stories that we've both been following. But um, I've got to confess to you that there's 
stories that I had to struggle with just a little bit about how to cover them, whether I even wanted to cover them or not. And I uh, want to hear some of your thinking about these stories. One is the story of Eric Metaxas, and the other is the story of Jen Hatmaker. For those who d uh, don't know, just a real quick uh, fill-in uh, on the Eric Metaxas story, Eric uh, was at a was at um, the speech where Donald Trump accepted uh, the uh, nomination of the Republican Party for President of the United States for re-election. And after that speech, he was walking down the street and Eric says that he was accosted uh, by an anti-Trump uh, protester on a bicycle and he ended up hitting Eric. Uh, I'm sorry, Eric ended up hitting the protester, knocking him off his bike, and Eric ultimately admitted to that. Um, first of all, when that story broke, um, Julie, what did you think and did how does that relate to what we do here um, at Ministry Watch and what you do there at the Roy's Report? Well, my first reaction was just shock. I mean, I, I saw that video and I was <laughs> I was stunned. You know, Eric Metaxas is uh, so well respected, and I've I've actually met him in person a couple of times, uh, emceed a, a speaking engagement where he was speaking, and um, actually ate dinner with him and had a great conversation. And he just I, I don't know. He's he's one of the very um, professional. Uh, kind of people who has written an incredible, like uh, his Bonhoeffer book was was phenomenal. I love that book. Little wordy for me, but um, <laughs> but it was really uh, well researched. Uh, and so I, yeah. I I do respect him a lot. And and to see him, what looks like punched a, a protester from behind, and then he kind of <laughs> seemed to kind of run away afterwards, um, was shocking. And. You know, it's one of those things where you feel bad, and but it was, it is one of those things where we live in glass houses, right? I mean, um, I'm not a public figure to the extent that he is, but we're all public figures once you start publishing and 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 you know, as a radio program, he, and he's obviously written several books, so you're a public figure, and that means you're going to be reported on when things like this happen because it's relevant to people. Yeah. There's people who follow you, and this speaks to your character. And to be honest, Warren, the thing that made me saddest about it was that he just, even now, he's kind of admitted it, but he hasn't really said anything about it. And at first, it was almost like he was he went silent, like he wasn't going to talk about it. I, I don't know. I just I feel like it, the stand-up thing would have been to say, I, you know, I, in the heat of the moment, I did something I now regret. I'm sorry about that. And yeah. he just never did that. And, and that's troubled me. And But we, I, I reported the story. I know you reported the story. And yeah, I got people that were really angry that I reported it at all. Yeah. Well, I, I've I've known Eric for a long time. I've known him for probably 10 years. And of course, I've worked at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, where, and Eric was associated with the Colson yeah. Center. So I, I've had over the years a fairly close relationship with, a relatively close relationship with Eric. We would see each other regularly and talk a lot. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. That was the most disappointing part of the whole situation for me was that it took him a long time to uh, admit what he had done. And he's never really said that, um, you know, it was wrong or that he apologized for. I, I will have to say, in in fairness to Eric, we live in an enormously litigious society. And even though 
the person that he hit has said that he did not want to press criminal charges. He did go public with saying that he was might pursue a lawsuit against Eric. So Eric is probably in a very awkward position getting some, you know, some feedback from, you know, his lawyers, probably getting some feedback from Salem um, uh, that, that he should just keep his mouth shut. And I understand that feedback and I understand even the prudence of that, um, you know, of that line of thinking and, and acting. But I do think that, you know, to go back to what we talked about earlier, Julie, about, you know, with Perry Stone and Todd Wagner and some of the others, I think that then in some ways that's what's wrong with the evangelical culture. Mm. You know, that we care about our empires, we care about the industry or the platform that we're creating more than we care about, you know, being sort of clean before God and doing the things that are necessary in our own personal lives to uh, make us fit for ministry. And that includes confession of wrongdoing whenever that wrongdoing happens. And um, that, to me, was a very troubling aspect of this whole story. Yeah, it was. I, I totally agree. And I, I hope I hope that if I'm ever in that circumstance, you know, that situation, that I'll be able to do what's right before God and not what's right before lawyers, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think that that has been a pressure in our society and in our church that has not produced much good fruit. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Real quickly, before we have to bring our time to a close, uh, Julie, let's talk briefly about Jen Hatmaker. Jen Hatmaker, uh, you know, prominent um, uh, evangelical, uh, her, the, the was married to a pastor in Austin, Texas. Uh, the two of them together um, had a reality television program, kind of one of these home improvement uh, programs. She announced, though, I believe in 2015, that she was in favor of same-sex marriage, uh, and uh, that sort of put her on the outs with a lot of people evangelicalism. Despite that, Thomas Nelson continued to publish her books, uh, a Christian publisher. Hmm. Now she's announced that um, she is and her husband are divorcing. That was another story that I had some anxiety and some heartburn about. Uh, you know, it, uh, on one level, it's a personal tragedy. It's a family tragedy and it's a private matter. But on the other hand, Jen Hatmaker has, um, for her own financial good, has created this public persona and this platform, and I kind of felt like that it was important for us to cover it. Uh, your thoughts about this? Well, I did cover it. Um, I discovered that she had filed for divorce, which is a public document. Um, it, it's, it's really tough, Warren, when you, when you know somebody's in a great deal of an emotional pain, their family's in a great deal of emotional pain, and yet you know that they're a public figure. And like you said, this is a platform that she has built around her family and, you know, just being open and honest about her family. I think that's one thing about Jen. She's never pretended to be something she's not. Um, but in this case, you know, it. I think she filed uh, in uh, August, more than two weeks after this news finally came out. So, um I took a lot of flack for for publishing that. At the same time, I don't quite understand why, if she didn't want it to go public, she publicly filed. Again, huge platform, 750,000 followers on Instagram, um, maybe about a half a million on Facebook. Uh, yeah, she's a public figure. And so, again, yeah. 
Well, I completely agree. And, you know, it kind of cuts both ways. If you're going to spend money and energy, and in some cases it's donor money in uh, that, that you're spending. I'm not sure that's the case so much with Jen Hatmaker. But with many of these people, uh, they're taking donor funds. They're building this massive platform. They're using this platform to to sell books and to get, you know, high-paid speaking engagements and make a lot of money off of it. And then to pretend that um, – that they're not public figures, that this is private and that they um, shouldn't have to um, have, uh, you know, be placed under scrutiny, I, I think is disingenuous in the extreme. Well, you and me both. <laughs> uh, at the same time, my heart just, just I, I genuinely feel just really bad uh, about what she's going through. And I don't know the details of it. And my guess is eventually they'll come out. One thing you didn't mention, though, Jen also is an elder in her church. Yeah, that does make the level of accountability. And I know I got hammered, hammered on Twitter for for even mentioning that someone who teaches, you know, ha- has a higher level of accountability. Um, but that's just that's what Scripture says. And yep, Scripture is very very clear about that. And you know, I was talking to my pastor the other day, uh, Julie, about. You know, we're also supposed to keep our families in order, and uh, we were. I was talking about that with my pastor, and and my my pastor admitted to me that is one of the verses in Scripture that I really wish wasn't there. It causes me terror. My pastor was telling me, and and I, you know, I totally understand that, having been involved in ministry for many many years. That uh, you know, and and I know many godly men and women who have kids that you know, have kind of gone off the rails. I, I sometimes tell people that I have good kids because God, I'm not smart enough to raise bad kids, and God <laughs> n- knows that. But, uh, but you know, the truth of the matter is, is that these uncomfortable passages of Scripture don't go away just because we don't want them to be true. They are there, and we've got to take them seriously. Yeah, we we do, and, and it's a difficult thing, but it, it's like somebody tweeted that, you know, I, I recognize I live in a glass house, too, and I'm ready for the day if that scrutiny comes back on me. And so I think we all, if we're in any position of leadership, spiritual leadership especially, um, if we're public in any way, we need to be prepared for that. Just expect it. And, yep. uh, and the most embarrassing, horrible things in your life will become public, and that's kind of what you sign up for uh, when you agree to allow your to have a public platform. Well, I think that's right, even though I, I'm not like you in that respect. I, I don't think I will be ready for it. It might come, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know anybody's ready I'm for it. I'm pretty sure I won't but, be ready for it, yeah. But I'm not going to complain yeah. if 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 I am judged by the same standard that I judge others. Yeah. I mean, that's what I expect. That's only fair and only biblical, by the way. Well, Julie, we've got to bring our time to a close. I really appreciate you being on the program with us and talking about these stories. Real quickly, you got anything coming up in the future in the next few days that you'd like to share with us? I do, and I know that uh, between when we record this and when it actually publishes, I might actually be publishing this story. But yes, there is. I have been researching for actually almost, I think it's about 10 months, although the the story's come and gone. But um, some of the accusations that uh, were swirling around Ravi Zacharias and his ministry, um, I recently got some information that sheds light on that and uh, will be reporting it or maybe already have reported it by the time the podcast comes out. Um, But very, very important story for the evangelical community to hear, and I think an important story for those who have been impacted, not not Ravi, but the other, for example, the woman who was involved in that sexting relationship who has just been 
absolutely her her life was turned upside down, devastated. She had to move. She and her husband actually sold their house, had to move to a whole new community um, as a result of some of the public statements that Zacharias made. So um, I think we'll hear a little bit more of the other side of the story and the truth about what really happened. Well, that's another story that's super uncomfortable to uh, have to deal with and to tell. So, Julie, I just want to say, um, you know, God bless you. I'll be praying for you as you continue to work on that story. And thank you for staying on top of it. And uh, we look forward to it. So there you have it. Well, with that, friends, I'm going to bring uh, this issue of the Ministry Watch Extra podcast to a close. Uh, I want to thank Julie Royce and her uh, work at the Royce Report. You can find what Julie is up to by going to RoyceReport.com. That's R-O-Y-S Report.com. Of course, you can find uh, more, find out more about what we do at Ministry Watch by going to MinistryWatch.com. A couple of quick housekeeping items before we go. If you would rate our program, believe it or not, that's a simple, easy, and free thing that you can do to help us. Uh, the more ratings we have on our podcast app, the more we show up uh, on search algorithms. So it's a great way for you to support the program. Doesn't cost you anything. Really helps us out a lot. And I should also mention that both Julie's ministry, the Roy's Report, and our ministry, Ministry Watch, are donor supported. Uh, to find out how you can support our ministries financially, you can go to our respective websites and hit the donate button, which is at the top of um, both of our pages. So thanks for considering that as well. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, along with my co-host, uh, Julie Royce. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. Thank you.